0: Well, we are nearing the end of our sermon series on 1 John, and today here is the issue I want us to to wrestle with. The issue is assurance. How can I know with any confidence that what I believe as a Christian is true? Not just probably, like I think so, and not just I believe, but to be able to say in good Reformation style, this is most certainly true. How can we say that? Can we say that? What does John tell us? Well, our text today is 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 through 15, and I'll ask you to rise for the reading of God's Word. First John 5, just three verses, 13 through 15. John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, teach us about confidence, teach us about boldness, Teach us what it means to stand firm in our faith. Speak to our hearts through your word this morning, God. I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, everyone here, would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. We live in a world where a lack of boldness is considered a virtue. The cardinal sin, it seems, is making an assertion that actually says something. Instead, we're supposed to preface every statement with, well, this is just my perspective, or I know others may feel differently, but we give so many trigger warnings that by the time we put the period on the end of the sentence, we actually haven't said anything at all. When we caveat our sentences to death, words lose their power and virility. C.S. Lewis knew this, and he had a particular term for the people that emerge from a culture like this. He called them men without chests. This is his language. Here's what he says. He says, we make men without chests and expect of them virtue and enterprise. We laugh at honor and are shocked to find traitors in our midst. We castrate and bid the geldings be fruitful. In our hyper-woke, ultra-PC culture, boldness is considered bad and timidity is considered good. And I was looking into this a little bit. You know what's fascinating is that all, like the vast majority of people, progressives, conservatives alike, they all agree that this is actually a bad thing. According to a recent study analyzed by The Atlantic, among the general population, a full 80% believe that political correctness is a problem in our country. You might think this is a generational thing, but even young people are uncomfortable with it, including 74% of people ages 24 to 29, and 79% of people under the age of 24. It's kind of baffling, isn't it? It's not what I would have anticipated. But the end result of all of this is that people, ourselves included, were kind of just scared to say anything at all. Another interesting thing about our culture is that doubt is considered a virtue and belief is considered a vice. Right? This is the whole deconstruction movement. If you're not familiar with this term deconstruction, it's used to refer to someone who, particularly of the evangelical brand of, of Christianity uh, kind of left all of that behind. And They're asking the hard questions, and they're supposedly deconstructing their faith, taking it all apart piece by piece, and in the end, they either end up maybe leaving the faith altogether or transferring their allegiance to a, a different tradition or, or something like that. And these are the ones that our society, our culture, puts on a pedestal. And anyone who hasn't questioned everything they believe is considered naive. And these ex-evangelicals who have left the faith, they are the ones that we kind of idolize. They are the brave and noble ones. The rest of us are just ignorant and scared. We'd rather smoke the opium of the masses than do the hard work of challenging our faith. Now, this whole thing is a really interesting phenomenon because up until the present day, it was actually reversed. Belief was seen to be the more reliable place that you should land, and doubt was considered bad. Belief was good, doubt was bad. But today, to claim to know anything at all with any degree of certainty is viewed as arrogant and ignorant. Our knee-jerk reaction, we are told, should be skepticism, right? Be a doubter. That's the mark of a mature human being. Anyone who claims to have assurance or certainty is automatically viewed with suspicion. But John's letter, as we've been reading through, it contrasts sharply with this view. There's this one little phrase that John uses over and over again. Maybe you heard it. Maybe you've noticed it. Maybe you've picked up on it. It, The phrase is, by this we know. It was in our text today, but it appears all over this letter first john three sixteen by this we know love that he laid down his life for us first john three nineteen by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows everything first john four six by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error first john four thirteen By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us His Spirit. And that's just a sampling. There are many more. John is concerned not just with that we know, but that we know for certain. He, He wants us to have assurance. Christians are built for confidence. Christians are built for boldness. And John applies this boldness to two specific areas of the Christian life, and that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning. Two areas salvation and prayer. Boldness in salvation and boldness in prayer. But before we dive into those, I want us to take a step back, and I want to give an important caveat because I think this, this matters. Boldness and brashness are not the same thing. Isn't that picture great? Use that every sermon if I could. Being bold and being brash are not synonymous. That's what a lot of people think when they hear the word bold applied to Christians. They think brash. And sometimes we reinforce that stereotype. Did you know that when non-Christians hear the word evangelical, they're not thinking follower of Jesus. They're thinking primarily of a voting bloc. Our identity is primarily political. We're known more for what we're against rather than what we're for. And this should not be the case, as Paul says in Colossians 4 5 through 6. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Being bold also does not mean being loud. And I'm not just talking about physically shouting, although that's certainly included, but you can be loud without even raising your voice. Right, you can be loud in social media. You can be loud in your strong disapproval and silence. But being a bold Christian doesn't mean that we outshout our opponents, who, by the way, aren't actually our opponents because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and authorities and principalities. The devil is our enemy, not our neighbor. We're not called to, quote-unquote, win every argument or battle, but instead, as Jesus tells us, to take a posture of humility, considering others better than ourselves, Philippians 2, three. I mean, you think of Jesus. He didn't tell the disciples to go forth and kick butt. He told them to pick up their crosses and follow after him. It's the backwards way of Jesus. We live by dying, we win by losing. So, caveat over, kind of back to the main road here. Boldness in salvation and boldness in prayer. Let's talk about salvation first. I'm going to back up one verse from our passage today to verse 12, which we covered last week. So I'll read both verses 12 and 13. It says, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. John says that we can have boldness and confidence in knowing that we have eternal life. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear that little phrase, especially when I was younger and and grew up in the church, hearing this phrase, eternal life, I thought it was something that applied only after your funeral. Right? Like, I'm alive here and now, I'm doing my thing on this earth. But then eternal life comes after I die and I go to be with Jesus in heaven. But that's not exactly what John is saying here. He says, if you believe in him, you have... Not will have, you have eternal life. It's in the present tense. You, as a brother or sister in Christ, possess eternal life. Here and now, you carry it around with you in your pocket wherever you go. It's not just a future inheritance. Eternal life. Do you ever stop to just think about what that word means? It never ends. There is no ending to it. It's like a circle. There's not a beginning. There's not an ending. It boggles the mind. The church I grew up in, the pastor, I remember this illustration that he gave because he gave it a number of times and I think it's so good. He said, this is how you should think about eternity. Imagine a a mountain peak, right? This, This giant, really tall mountain peak. And there's a sparrow that flies to the top of that mountain peak once every year to sharpen its beak. When that sparrow wears the mountain to the ground, eternity will have only just begun. So how can we know this? How can I know that I am someone who has eternal life? Is assurance even possible? This is a massive question. That gets into doctrines like election and predestination and eternal security. So for the next four hours, uh, nervous chuckles, Uh, theologians have wrestled with this for centuries. So unless you want to miss the Super Bowl today, we're not going to get uh, to the bottom of the mystery. But the short answer is yes. According to John, we can know that we are saved. We can have confidence. So, if you are someone who wrestles with this question of assurance of salvation, wondering, am I really saved, right? Not all of us are like that, but some of us have asked this question and wrestled with it very deeply. If that's you today, I want to give you two diagnostic questions to ask yourself and then two pieces of encouragement, very briefly. So, question number one is going to sound obvious and seems to go without saying, do you believe in Jesus? Start there. Ask yourself, do you believe in Jesus? Do I actually trust in him? If the conviction is there, if the answer to that question is yes, that's God's gift of faith in your heart. It helps you understand where you are at. You don't put your faith in your faith, but it's a helpful diagnostic question. As the author of Hebrews says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So that's question number one. But I would say number two, and this is probably the the bigger diagnostic question, I would ask, where are you looking for your assurance? Where are you looking? Are you looking inside of yourself, to your own heart, and to your own feelings, which change and shift like mercury from day to day? Or are you looking outward, outside of yourself to God's Word, which does not fluctuate? Are you looking to God's promises? Because God's promises, those don't change from day to day. And God tells us in Philippians 1, six, I am sure of this, that he who began... This is Paul speaking. Paul says, I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it about to completion at the day of Christ. God brings our faith to completion, to its end. We need to turn to God's Word daily to remind ourselves that God is the one who sustains our faith, to remind ourselves of promises like that because, man, we are prone to forget. So there's your two kind of diagnostic questions. And as far as the encouragements go, I've got two of these for you. Number one, I would say that the very struggle reveals the presence of faith. Because if faith were not present, there would be nothing for our old sin nature to struggle against. Right? It's kind of like a wrestling match. You can't have a wrestling match until, unless there's two opponents, right? It's got to be Both sides. So it's not that you have a perfect faith, not a great faith, but a mustard seed faith given to you. And that struggle is an indication of faith. So that's encouragement number one. Encouragement number two, this might sound a little bit strange to you. Remember your baptism. Sounds a little bit weird, but let me clarify what I mean. Not because it's some magical guarantee that another soul is signed, sealed, and delivered into the kingdom of heaven. That's not what Scripture teaches about baptism at all. But rather for this reason, okay? You can doubt your feelings. You can doubt your feelings. You can doubt your thoughts. You can doubt your heart. You can doubt the Bible. You can even doubt your conversion experience. But you cannot doubt the fact that water, not magical water, but ordinary water made powerful by God's Word touched your skin you could feel it, there were witnesses present there to see this miracle of God's work in your life, you can go back and ask them. That actually happened. Baptism, it it kind of creates a tangible grip we can hold tight to when doubt creeps in. It's not just a past event, but a present truth and reality that it's worth bringing to mind. Christians were built for boldness, and that boldness applies to the issue of assurance. So what about boldness in prayer? Let's talk about that a little bit. Listen to verses 14 through 15. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. By the way, we're going to do a deep dive on this whole issue of of prayer during our Wednesday evening Lenten services. It's going to be six Wednesdays long, and each one we're going to look at a different aspect of prayer. So it'll be prayer is bold, prayer is simple, prayer is hard, prayer is honest, prayer is transformative, and prayer is answered. So a little preview for Wednesday nights. But here's something else that I have found true in my own life. Prayer is messy. Is that just a Pastor Luke problem? Prayer is messy. Now, you wouldn't know this if the only time you hear prayer is on church, at church or on TV where a paid professional is offering up flowery poems in iambic pentameter. Like, who does that? But if you look to your Bible, you'll see a different story. Prayer, which, again, is just talking to God out loud or from our hearts, Is a crazy messy business because we are crazy messy people living crazy messy lives. And that's good to name. Sometimes it's what I like to call a drive by prayer, right? You're between work and dropping the kids off at practice, so you quick pull the trigger and send your request heavenward, right? God, give me strength. Jesus, help me with this test. Please calm my nerves i'm sorry forgive my sins watch over my mom during surgery right these these short little kind of drive-by prayers which by the way god loves god loves prayers that are short and sweet and to the point because he already knows what you need i think a lot of times we approach prayer as if we have to explain it to god like as if he's unaware of our situation and our needs it's like okay god Here's what's going on in my life. God's like, yeah, yeah, I know, I'm God, remember? (laughs) You don't need to spend all this time explaining it to Him. And so, therefore, we can come right to the point. He knows what you need. He's just waiting for you to give voice to it, to ask Him for help because it shows that you trust Him. I love what one New Testament professor says. He says, prayer is the most direct expression of faith. I think that's true. Now, prayer. Sounds great, right? We've got to pray. All right, let's do this thing. But here's the hard part. According to whose will? God says you should pray according to His will. Which is a problem because if you are a red-blooded human being, which as I look around the sanctuary, I see a lot of human beings here. We would rather pray, my will be done. If I could go in and edit the Lord's prayer, I'd make the switch. My heart would want to make that switch from thy will to my will. And there's a massive difference between my will be done and thy will be done, right? I once knew a pastor by the name of Todd. He's a pretty funny guy, and he would he did this thing sometimes like in, in a joking manner where you know the the name todd kind of sounds like god if you say it fast enough so it's like are we asking for the will of god to be done or the will of todd to be done it's easy to mix those two up isn't it sometimes prayers for My will don't, most of the time, I would argue, don't align with the will of God. And sometimes we mistake our own will for His will. Our prayers are far from perfect. Half of the time it seems like we're praying for the wrong things or we're praying for the wrong reasons or in a self-centered kind of way. But guess what? God hears them all and He accepts them all. And he responds to them, not because our prayers are perfect, but because by the blood of Jesus they are sanctified. He responds to the prayers that hit the target and to the ones that just sail right over the top of the target and hit the hay bale behind it. It's not the quality or quantity of your prayers that matter most, but the merciful heart of the one who hears them. Here's the truth. We can pray boldly, not because the results are guaranteed, but because we have a God who always responds in love. In Luke 11, 11 through 13, Jesus says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Man, call Child Protective Services here if you're... Feeding scorpions to your kids. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? God wants to provide you with good gifts. Did you know that? He does. He's not up in heaven waiting for you to prayer the right combination of words that will unlock His blessings. You can come before Him with confidence because He cares for you. He cares for you so much that He died for you. The author of Hebrews says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In the midst of the world that is under siege, with spiritual warfare playing out every direction we look, Prayer is a bold counterattack against the enemy. It's an attack that should be characterized by confidence rather than timidity. A fearful soldier is going to have a difficult time charging the battlefield. So, So prayer is our weaponry, and we need to keep it sharp. I love what Chad Bird says about prayer. He says, If the whole world sways to the music of the evil one, We would do well to let the holy dance of prayer be ever on our lips and hearts. Friends, our relationship with God is built on boldness. Which means our prayers are accepted and not rejected. In the midst of a world drowning in uncertainty, Jesus tells us in a voice as bold and clear as a February winter morning that this we can know. He loves us. He forgives us. And His unconditional love unlocks a spirit of boldness in our own hearts, enabling us to trust and believe that we are His beloved children. In a world fearful of offending, and a culture stripped of truth, he gives us the voice to say, this is most certainly true. Hey friends, Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's Pastor K-J-O-L-H-A-U-G at gmail.com. As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen.